Hi Zoe, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, thanks. Great column last week, all about anxiety uh, and kids. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm surprised that it was so controversial. So for context, I wrote this column for the Australian newspaper that was published last Friday. <laughs> and it was about um, two things mainly, kids refusing to go to school and why over-parenting, so helicopter parenting, might be playing a role in this phenomenon. And so school refusal is apparently a growing problem in Australia, and I looked up the stats and found that 50% of school children in Australia had not gone to school last year for a figure of approximately 20 days. So that's quite a lot. Um, and And there's different benchmarks, so some people consider missing... 10% 10% of a school year to be, uh, you know, you're meeting the range of school absenteeism. Um, some people say 20%. But there are, there anecdotally, there's more and more um, parents and teachers coming out saying that they are dealing with kids who refuse to go to school altogether. They wow. will not go to school. School refuses. That's school what refusal, called, right? yeah. And mm. it's described as this... Uh, the phenomenon is described as anxiety-based school refusal. And I think it is distinct from children who have special needs. Mm-hmm. So some of the criticism of my article came from parents of autistic children. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, children of handicapped children or children with high, uh, special needs, I mean, we've always known about children mm. with special needs. That's why we have special schools. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. disabilities. Or support teachers. Disabilities mm-hmm. have always been with us. But what parents and teachers are seeing is something new, mm-hmm. and it is among children who are not autistic mm-hmm. and who have developed that they're normal children, normal functioning children mm-hmm. who are developing anxiety mm-hmm. around going to school. And it ties in with the general explosion in anxiety and mm-hmm. depression that we're seeing across the board mm-hmm. in young people. Yeah. So I was talking about normal children, not uh, neurodiverse children, mm-hmm. but a lot of the backlash to my article came from parents of, at least on social media, came from parents of autistic children mm-hmm. and I yeah, it was sort of talking at cross purposes, but yeah. it was surprising how many people were really angry that I suggested that actually kids to deal with anxiety, kids need some exposure mm-hmm. therapy. Yeah, it was surprising to see the backlash because you write about such, you know, hot button topics like, you know, trans issues yeah. or gender ideology. Yeah. And it's this one. I read it this morning. I thought it was great. I thought it was very, you know, inoffensive. I was mm. surprised that people were taking such offence. But it's like what we were talking about last week. Um, I think it's related, you know, lots of people believe that they're neurodivergent or that their children are neurodivergent, whether they have a diagnosis or not, you know, not all the time. Um, And that word you were using, normal, like people don't want to accept that perhaps their child's normal, they're just having this issue with school refusal and it's something else like, I yeah. think they always want to say, yeah, right. it's because my child is neurodivergent. Yeah. You know? Well, I saw an interesting graphic tweeted by Scott Barry Kaufman. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, he screenshotted a graphic that was released by some kind of therapy organization. 
and it which and the graphic um said procrastination is a trauma response. My God. Um so we're we we've we've shifted into we, we have this culture which is seeking to redefine a lot of normal experiences as being abnormal and it isn't helping young people because they are catastrophizing. So as you would know, as any human being knows, uh, life comes with all sorts of challenges and part of reaching maturity is learning how to cope with challenges, whether those challenges are social or simply challenges of self-control, learning how to control Mm -hmm. your own impulsivity, learning how to control your own emotions and moods. Um, the, the difference between a child and an adult is the degree of self-control we develop. And so if, we, if the grown-ups, if the responsible adults in the room keep telling children that their emotional responses mm. are 100, 100% valid, and it doesn't matter what the content, like, you know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're going to have an anxiety attack about going to school, that's valid. That's mm-hmm. a valid response. We need to um, prioritize, you know, pr- mm. get you to a situation where mm-hmm. you're completely emotionally mm. ready to, in order to go to school. The child will never get mm. to be um, emotionally mm. ready. The re- the, how you get to be emotionally ready is pushing through yeah. difficult emotions and doing but and engaging in behaviors in spite mm-hmm. of difficult emotions. Mm-hmm. I mean, every any performer who ever gets up on stage, mm-hmm. or any person who ever does public speaking, understands what anxiety. Mm-hmm. Is. Your stomach gets twisted into knots. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get Black sweaty mind this morning. <laughs> you can get sweaty palms. You and you just want to cancel. Yeah, like, there's been so many times where I've had to do some some kind of public speaking. And I wake up on the day and I think, damn it, I should have cancelled this. Mm-hmm. And I'll go through in my mind, what can I can't what what reason can I come up with to cancel mm-hmm. this speaking event? But then you can't come up with a valid mm-hmm. reason and you tell yourself to just pull it together and go and do it. You do it and then you feel great exactly. afterwards. And yeah. you learn And it's never as bad as what you think it's exactly. going to be. And kids exactly. need to learn that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, we can we can get anxious about all sorts of mm-hmm. minor things mm-hmm. and the problem with anxiety is that it leads us to avoid certain things mm-hmm. and the more we avoid certain things the more the fear builds yeah because we can't learn what's called disconfirmation mm. so if you think if someone thinks if someone's never caught the bus and they think that catching the bus is this scary thing they're going to be assaulted mm-hmm. there's going to be crazy people on the bus it's going to stink, you know. <laughs> like you can come up with all sorts of reasons why it's scary to catch the bus, but if you never go and catch the bus, you'll never learn that actually it's not scary at all yeah. and it's quite safe. Mm-hmm. So, And your anxiety just gets worse. It's like one time I had a panic attack on a flight, on a really long-haul flight. It was quite scary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for a while after it, I didn't want to catch flights again, but I yeah. thought, Zoe, if you give in to this fear, you'll never travel again. Traveling is so important to you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. It's the same with school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's, it can be generalized across a lot of different situations and behaviors, but I'm, but one thing that my article addressed was 
Overparenting, mm-hmm. or a, a term that's commonly used is helicopter parenting. And Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff talk about it in their book, The Coddling of the American Mind. And um, they also describe it as paranoid parenting. So mm. they identify that uh, there are two ways that the development, a healthy development can be damaged by parents. The first and most obvious is through abuse and neglect. And that's particularly, that is particularly damaging in the very early years when children are very young. When children are very young, they need a very nurturing Mm -hmm. environment with very responsive Mm. caregivers. Mm, Secure bonds. Yeah. They Mm. need to have secure attachment. Mm -hmm. They need their caregivers to be very responsive Mm -hmm. to their emotional needs. But as they grow older, what is important for a child is for them to learn mastery of skills, independence, and then resilience. And so the problem with overparenting is, so helicopter parents are really good at that early stage. They're wonderful caregivers of very young children. But then as children grow older, they're not allowing them to have the independence Gives that allows children to develop their own self confidence, their own independence, and the mastery of skills. And part of independence is allowing children to fail Mm -hmm. and to get into trouble Mm -hmm. and then get themselves out Mm -hmm. of trouble. Yeah. Um, And Haidt and Lukianov write about how there are, if with in not giving children independence, they lose. Thousands of opportunities to learn s- skills of self-reliance, mm. which inevitably turn into resilience. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can think about it in your own life. I think, like, whenever I get into trouble today, and I'm met with a challenge, I'm like, "Damn, this this situation is uh, really challenging." Mm-hmm. Then I think about all of the challenges that I've yeah. overcome in the past, exactly. and you get this um, narrative, this self this self-narrative that you can you can cope. Mm-hmm. And that's if we don't allow our children to be independent and to go out and get into trouble and make mistakes, we don't allow them to develop that self-narrative that they can cope. The narrative is so important. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about it recently, yeah. <laughs> um, just in terms of um, yeah relationships that I've had and, um, you know, some men I've dated, <laughs> to be honest, um, you know, a lot of them have actually had quite traumatizing um, childhoods, far more traumatizing than mine, for example. Mm-hmm. But I've seen how different people tell a different story about their past. And some people say, yep, my childhood was fucked up. Like this happened, blah, blah. Yeah. But it's, I'm happy it happened because look at me now and I'm a strong yeah. person now. And yeah. other people, th- their narrative is my life has always been fucked. It will always be fucked. Yeah. This is my life. This is suffering. Yeah. This is, you know. There's an amazing amount of very successful people who have had traumatic childhoods. And so I don't buy into the, I mean, trauma is not good. Trauma mm-hmm. in childhood is not good. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend that it's mm-hmm. uh, something mm-hmm. that you people want. People on Twitter are already <laughs> angry with you. <laughs> but uh, it does not. I do not accept that it has to destroy a person's life. There are, um, I know personally, the most successful people I know in my life have had quite traumatic experiences Mm -hmm. growing up. And so 
yeah, it's not, I don't, I don't think, I can understand why, uh, you know, people hang on to traumatic experiences and it can come to colour their worldview, but it absolutely does not have to shape a person's life. And there's all sorts of amazing people who have overcome the most horrifying circumstances Mm -hmm. and experiences and have incorporated it into themselves and made it made themselves a stronger Mm. person because of it yeah Mm. and perhaps they wouldn't have had this success they've you know had without those experiences yeah I mean it's Mm. kind of taboo to say that it's kind of taboo to say that well maybe uh having some rough Mm -hmm. experiences makes people stronger and then Mm -hmm. makes them more able to go out and do Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. because uh it would be unethical Mm. to go and subject children or young people to tough experiences Mm -hmm. so they can become more Mm. (laughs) resilient and more successful. Life itself is pretty tough. Yeah. Like a basic life comes with all sorts of challenges. Yeah. And, you know, I'm the daughter of teachers, so maybe I'm a bit biased, but it was always drilled into me since I was a kid that you were so lucky to be going to school that your grandma would have liked would have, you know, loved to go to school and she didn't get educated because she was a woman and blah, blah, yeah. Um, Or, you know, there are lots of children in developing nations that can't go to school. Like, yeah. you're so lucky. Yeah. And that really shaped my my opinion of school and, mm. yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's another thing. One cure for the anxiety epidemic today mm-hmm. is potentially learning a bit more about history mm. because what we think – as we what we think of as traumatic was just commonplace yeah for yeah. the majority of mm-hmm. our ancestors mm-hmm. and the majority of our ancestors experienced things that we can we would never be able to mm-hmm. imagine yeah. i mean just take our female a- ancestors mm-hmm. to begin with you know up until the industrial revolution or the 1850s you would say goodbye to half of the children yeah. that you gave birth to mm-hmm. You know, fifty percent of your if you survive childbirth, that's right. Fifty mm. percent of your kids would die, mm-hmm. and you. I mean, that's something that none of us have mm-hmm. to comprehend. Mm-hmm. We don't even have to think about it mm-hmm. if we get pregnant. Mm-hmm. That oh, we might lose our child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, die people just dying in their twenties or mm-hmm. teens or childhood just from infectious mm-hmm. diseases. Basic, it's yep. just something we don't have to deal with. Yeah. Um, so we are on so many different levels. We are incredibly mm. lucky. Mm. And I think, you know, one thing that I notice, like a difference between people who have good mental health and bad mental health is is the level of gratitude mm. that people have. Yeah. And people with good mental health always have a high amount of gratitude, mm-hmm. no matter what station, no mm-hmm. matter what position they have mm-hmm. in life. I mean, you can be... You can be, you know, in the bottom 10% of wealth, but you can still be grateful for what mm-hmm. you have. Yeah. You know, gratitude is not, it's not just the luckiest people in the mm-hmm. world who have gratitude. Uh, it, anyone can have gratitude. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I notice a big difference between people with good mental health and people without it. Definitely. And you can see people who have had all sorts of privileges. You know, they've won the genetic lottery in mm-hmm. terms of intelligence in terms of looks, mm-hmm. in terms of loving parents, and they mm-hmm. still feel sorry for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if kids, like, do you think kids are um, 
taught to be grateful or do you think it's like an internal disposition that some people are more optimistic or grateful? I think it was, you know, drilled into me to be grateful, but I also saw it modelled in my parents and maybe something about my personality also makes me more positive. Yeah, and mm. I mean one huge elephant in the room mm -hmm. in these discussions is genetics. Mm. We don't know how much. So what gratitude is probably uh, influenced by what's called internal locus of control. And I don't know how much having an internal or external locus of control is um, just innate, just comes mm. with a person or is something that is trained mm. by people or by the environment. Mm -hmm. And we know that 50% of all psychological traits are highly heritable. Mm -hmm. So we all of our personality traits are all have a, a pretty large genetic component mm -hmm. and we don't know how much the environment sort of shapes or um how how much of how much it shapes those genetic predispositions we already mm -hmm. have and it's yeah I, I i honestly don't know it's a mystery mm. how much you know mm. how much our personality is shaped by genes and how much is just a set of choice you know if you make if you take a particular path sort of choices come to compound yeah. you know you're in, the environment you in starts to compound like yeah. if you make bad choices your entire life mm -hmm. of course you're going mm -hmm. to end up with in a miserable position but yeah. how much is that because of your own choices mm -hmm. or or because of something that mm -hmm. is completely out of your control it's an interesting yeah. question and i don't know the answer yeah i have thought about it like that like during more rough periods of my life or down periods i've thought if i could just today make a few good positive decisions yeah um you know go to the gym eat well yeah. you know eat a healthy meal today it's these little things that I do think compound over time and get you out of those you know down exactly down patches that's yeah. right and that's yeah that's exactly mm. right and that's why having an internal locus of mm -hmm. control is so important mm -hmm. because you have the insight to see that small choices mm -hmm. are in your control yeah. yeah the smallest thing such as eating some vegetables mm -hmm. or going to the gym, mm -hmm. that is in your control and you can mm -hmm. manage to do mm -hmm. that. And then that those choices build up mm -hmm. and compound mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. And then you get you internalize in yourself that I can make choices mm -hmm. that affect my life yeah. in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And then that leads to bigger things. Yeah. And I can imagine one of the worst things you could do for a kid when they were feeling down or going through a bad period was to switch up their routine and say, you don't have to do this thing that you've been doing every day for a few years now just because yeah. you're feeling bad. Mm. Like I can imagine making other changes in their life, you mm. know, mm. Um, but school should be core, like oh, yeah. such a stable. It, 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 and, yeah, I think that's true. And we, um, it's a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. So we published an article just mm. today um, that talks about rites of passage mm. that from childhood to adulthood. Mm -hmm. And school is sort of a non-negotiable part mm -hmm. of reaching adulthood in our culture. I mean, maybe there are certain situations where 
schooling can be done remotely. I mean, I don't want to argue that there are no exceptional cases. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are going to be some exceptional cases for extremely um, troubled children. However, doing well in school or at least completing schools, uh, comp you know, satisfactorily is, is kind of non-negotiable if you want to be an adult in our mm -hmm. culture. And I mean, if that, if that is just completing year 10 successfully, mm -hmm. that's fine. Mm -hmm. But then after that, you go off and you do an apprenticeship in a trade. Uh, if you want to get into the professions, obviously a person has to do fairly well mm -hmm. in year 12 and then go on to university and, and complete university. But failing school through non-attendance or just, or just not completing the mm -hmm. work, that will set up a person for failure for life. Mm -hmm. Because in our culture, we look at things such as, is a person able to do systematic work and reach completion, mm -hmm. just complete a task, mm -hmm. whether it's an assignment or a project Deadlines, or whatever. Yep. And it's about proving that you can be relied upon mm -hmm. in our economy, mm -hmm. which requires people to um, engage in self-control, plan ahead, mm -hmm. think ahead, um, just work towards mm -hmm. A task or a deadline mm -hmm. and people who fail that mm -hmm. rite of passage I think just end up never having the self-belief or the ability that mm -hmm. or never having the self-belief that they can adequately mm -hmm. function in the economy and then mm -hmm. you get the welfare dependence yeah. and all of that kind of or other people who think um no I'm I'm different to everyone else and I don't have to conform and everyone else has to but I'm I'm so different or you know that I don't have to, which I think some parents are sort of telling their kids mm. um, by allowing them to, or by telling them that, oh, no, you've, you're neurodivergent, you're different to the other kids and you're a special kid and that's why, you know, we're all different in our own ways. Um, well, it depends. It depends what you want for your child and it depends what kind of life you want to lead. I mean, if a, if a person is happy to live a life where they are dependent on others, um, dependent on welfare or dependent on their parents mm -hmm. to pay for them, pay their bills and, um, you know, provide for them, then that's, that's fine. But if a person wants to achieve independence, then they, have, they mm -hmm. just have to jump through those hoops. Mm. What about people who criticize the schooling system for like, um, you know, being make, coercive? Yeah, or making everyone conform and, um, you know, stamping out creativity and stamping out individuality. I personally, again, daughter of teachers, I know that my, my parents would never do that to a child. Like, yeah. I'm going to stamp out your creativity. <laughs> like, you're just another number in the system. Like that's not how it works. Obviously, um, there are good teachers and bad teachers, and obviously, teachers depending on class sizes, they they can't tailor everything to a yeah. child. But I think that's a that's a lesson for life. That mm. you know you can't go through life expecting everyone to tailor yeah your experience yeah. for you. Well, it's it gets worse mm. in in employment. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. is the reality. I mean, I. Of course, schools can be criticized mm -hmm. and there's huge variation among teachers. Some teachers mm -hmm. are fantastic mm -hmm. and bring out the best in their students and some are not so great. Mm -hmm. um, 
So of course schooling can be criticised and of course teaching teachers can be criticised. However, you know, getting a job and being employed isn't a process in um, having all of your idi- having a person's idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. catered to and validated and affirmed mm-hmm. on a daily basis. If a person wants to get a job, they're getting a job to work for someone else, mm-hmm. to work for a company and to uh, use their talents and skills to either make money mm-hmm. for a company or provide some public good, like mm-hmm. a social service. It's not about them as an individual being mm-hmm. affirmed mm-hmm. and you know self-actualized. I mean, in a good job that will happen, but that's not the point of it. And mm-hmm. so that we, it, the, the point of schooling is to get a child ready for mm-hmm. that reality, mm-hmm. to get a child ready for the reality of the mm-hmm. economy, which is that you actually have to develop your skills and talents to be in service mm-hmm. of something else for yeah. other people or for the public good. If you want to be a doctor or mm-hmm. a nurse or a mm-hmm. firefighter, you're doing it for society. Yeah. Um, and, you know, focusing on oneself, that's what you do in leisure time. Mm-hmm. That's what you do in your time Good off point. from work. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful. Yeah. Like we all need to have uh, time to focus mm-hmm. on ourselves mm-hmm. and, uh, in, you know, be introspective and, um, you know, get in touch with our spiritual side and all mm-hmm. of that. But, um, you know, being a productive member of society means mm-hmm. helping other people achieve Mm. outcomes yeah um and it's beyond so, you yeah that's right and so schooling is part of the training mm-hmm. for that and um you know if it is uncomfortable at times for kids then they just you know I, I hate to say push through for every single child because obviously there are going to be exceptional cases but mm-hmm. for, for the most part I think you know we've gotten to this situation where we're indulging avoidant behaviors or even normalizing mm-hmm. avoidant behaviors that really should be nipped in the bud yeah. pretty early on. Yeah, definitely. Then when you mix it with indulging other, you know, fantasies that about identity and things like that, it's it's a bit of a mess. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it just seems to be getting, you know, I'm sure my grandparents thought my dad's generation was, you know, indulged and then, you know, it just seems to be getting worse and worse. Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't do these kids any favors. Mm. Ultimately, it just it's, um, you know, it's just it 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 doesn't it doesn't help them mm-hmm. get where they need to be mm-hmm. faster. Mm-hmm. It just will take the maturity process mm-hmm. a longer mm-hmm. time, which is not necessarily in their best interests. Mm. And it seems like it's a product of having a very very comfortable culture where we've yeah. got everything we need and we've got our yeah. creature comforts yeah and it's we can already see it in kids that have um that grow up in um you know immigrant families where parents have fled wars and come to yeah. Australia or Canada and those kids do really really well yeah. because um they're grateful that they're there yeah. um you know they don't waste their time they it yeah so and there, there's a resilience yeah well part of it this lack of resilience might be because of that people, families are having fewer and fewer children. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at my family tree a while back and on my mum's side, there were people, multiple women in a row who had 15 kids each. What? 15. 15. Yeah. And oh. I mean, I don't know how many of those kids would have died. Yeah. But 
How can, far back is this? Well, in, in Australia, so okay. after they came to Australia, mm. so we would have been in the 1800s. Wow. So, um, you know, she's not looking, she's not helicoptering, helicopter no, parenting impossible. 15 kids, mm-hmm. no one can. Mm-hmm. So the more kids you have, mm-hmm. the less attention mm-hmm. you can give each of them mm-hmm. and the more kids live in the, kid, the world of kids. Mm-hmm. So when you have 10 kids or 15 kids, the elder children look after the mm-hmm. babies and they live in their own little world, which is a really cool world. Like it's lots of fun mm-hmm. if you see old, older kids playing with little kids. And, um, you know, they, have, they, they just grow up. But in a, it's not that they're not cared for, mm-hmm. but it's a different type of environment to having mm-hmm. two parents in their 40s mm-hmm. deciding to have a child by IVF. Mm-hmm. Getting a little, getting this little baby who then mm-hmm. becomes their project, their mm-hmm. life project, mm. and they're investing all of this time. Yep. They're reading parenting books. They're yep. investing all of this time, taking them to violin mm-hmm. lessons at mm-hmm. age two, mm-hmm. and then when they're at mm. school, being on campus and and just organizing mm. every micromanaging Middle every end. aspect yeah. of the child's life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this this is not rare. Mm. This is it's I mean uh, in my um neighborhood it's an affluent neighborhood mm-hmm. like i see this all yeah, the time it's probably the the default the norm and probably. the child is like this hothouse flower mm-hmm. you know and there's all of this time and effort mm-hmm. and it's like just Let i mean up, after a certain point after it a certain age has been reached. I just think let the kids out, mm-hmm. let the kids out of the house, BMX around, mm-hmm. like free range. Yeah, just yeah, let them to explore. Yeah, yeah. I think it is a mix of like people having kids later and having less kids. And I'm actually an example of that because my parents had me at uh, 38, 39, and I'm an only child. Um, and I had a, a great childhood, and I wouldn't change it. But I think I'm the exception to the yeah. rule, yeah. and I don't. I definitely won't be having waiting so long to have kids. Mm. I'm not sure how many kids I'll have. But you, but. you travelled as a teenager, right? Yeah, yeah. And my parents, maybe because they're teachers and they had a very good understanding of child development. I'm not sure, but I just I wasn't coddled, um, and or you were overly out, coddled. You were out there as a teenager. Yeah. Experimenting and yeah. so on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I probably was a bit overparented when I was little, mm-hmm. but um, certainly by the time I reached teenagehood, I was out the door mm-hmm. and um, I was probably underparented mm. <laughs> because I got into some very dangerous situations mm-hmm. that I'm actually lucky to have survived. Mm-hmm. And, may, and, you know, perhaps I had too much freedom, but... That being said, mm-hmm. uh, I developed resilience because yeah. of it. Yeah. And I was wondering um, if, like, the statistics you saw about absenteeism, I'd love to know if it changes in private schools because what I'm, I went to public schools, um, but what I'm starting to realise um, just from knowing people who went to private schools is that, like, um, like I heard about this Outward Bound. Have you heard about Outward Bound? No. They're these really intense camping trips where they'd send these young boys, like I'm not sure if Eric's going to, if your son's going yeah. to do it, but they send them off into the wilderness mm. and 
Um, it happens at a lot of the the private schools around here, boys mm. and girls schools. The girls have a more like vanilla version of it. Yeah. Um, but at my school, we never had that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Harry, and- Harry, who's for listeners, is mm-hmm. my husband. Mm-hmm. He did cadets at his school. So he went to private mm-hmm. school and did cadets. And they engaged in, he was uh, exposed to some some mild forms of torture. Yeah. In cadet, like sleep deprivation, yeah. camping with in, in severe cold. Yeah. No um, food. If you don't ma- reach camp, there's no food. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's like mild forms of torture. Yeah. And some kids have died. Really? Yeah. I've heard that at a few of the private schools in Sydney. Um, one kid got lost and um, another, yeah, there was like a white water rafting accident or something. So Yeah, but class is a really interesting mm-hmm. aspect of all of this because, so I grew up um, in a sort of a lower class kind mm-hmm. of area and you don't see sort of, contr- you don't see, um methods of training kids in, in or boys in particular in these sort of controlled aggression ways. So mm-hmm. what I mean is now that I live in a different uh, neighbourhood mm-hmm. and economic strata, I see how people from upper middle class uh, put their boys into, like firstly they're going to jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. early on, they play Rugby mm-hmm. union, they're getting the boys into forms of controlled aggression and then cadets later on in school. Lower class boys don't have – they might get that in terms of football, mm-hmm. but I see the emphasis that class has and how it, it really is a thing. Like mm-hmm. they're getting their boys to be aggressive but in a very restricted yeah. and controlled manner. Mm-hmm. And it'd be really interesting to see – if boys who grow up to be delinquents and engaging in crime and getting into gangs, you're really interesting to see if they missed out on mm. a lot of that as little kids. Interesting because point. Because I see a lot at the rugby matches, it's a lot of dads. Like mm-hmm. it's a lot of fathers getting their boys out, getting them into contact sports, and then, you know, they're learning to be aggressive and to channel their aggression but in a socially acceptable yep. way. Mm-hmm. It would be really interesting to see if there's a relationship between boys winding up on like drugs Mm -hmm. or in gangs Mm -hmm. and them not having that kind of father-led exposure to controlled aggression. Yeah. And I think a class difference as well is that if you come from a more like a lower socioeconomic family, maybe your parents can't spend as much time with you because they're working or there are other issues in the house. um, I think those boys would be left to play video, video games. Absolutely. So back 100%. in the day they would have yep. run around outside, but now yep. it's just Fortnite, Fortnite. And that article we just published, um, uh, Lost in Transition, Yeah. said I read that um, boys in Sydney are playing on average nine hours of video games a day. Yeah, six to nine hours. Yeah, and yeah. for girls it's social media, which yeah. is, you know, equally It's an incredible bad. amount of time mm-hmm. not doing other things. It's incredible and it's not just – what kids are doing on the screen, it's the what's called the opportunity cost, what they are mm, not doing. Missing out on. You know, yeah. not playing with other kids mm-hmm. in the street, not, um, you know, roaming around the neighbourhood on their mm-hmm. BMX, not climbing fences and mm-hmm. getting scrapes and getting, you know, chased out because they're trespassing on the church grounds mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
not that I did any of that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's it's what the kids aren't doing that's the mm-hmm. problem. Um, and I think eventually that class divide will just grow more and more. Exactly. Like there's already a class divide in food, yep. like the types, you know, health outcomes, the types of food that um, kids are being served at home that's and right. sporting, yeah. um, which is becoming, I'm sure, increasingly expensive. Um, and yeah. 100%. We already see a class divide of, you already see um, engineers in San Francisco or in Silicon Valley who have designed the addictive features of these apps. Mm. They don't let their kids Mm -hmm. on, they don't give their kids phones. Steve Jobs didn't give his kids an iPad. Uh, They know that these products are addictive because they design them and they Mm. don't give them to their own kids. Mm. And it's the kids, you know, the parents are busy. They need a babysitter. The best babysitter is the iPad. Here's your iPad. The kid gets addicted. They grow up, you know, glued to the screen. Mm -hmm. And they they eventually become basically serfs or slaves to this digital Mm -hmm. economy Mm -hmm. where they're attentive. Their attention is completely hijacked and mm-hmm. then harvested for the profits of these people who have created these addictive yeah. apps, and they accrue all of the profits mm. and all of the benefits, and they have a very, um, a, a very deliberate and controlled mm. relationship with these technologies, where they might use them sometimes as a tool, yeah. but they're certainly not addicted to mm. them. Mm, this is dark. <laughs> Do, I truly believe that. These technologies are setting up a caste system wow. where your ability to control your own behavior and your ability to control your own de- addiction to devices mm-hmm. is going to determine your life outcomes. And unfortunately, that means that parents actually have to be a little bit paternalistic mm-hmm. when it comes to screen time for their kids. Mm-hmm. Like I have to be paternalistic with my son. I just ban him from the laptop and it's just, you just have to put your foot down because it's mm-hmm. so these these products are so addictive and they take up so much of a child's time. Mm-hmm. Seems like parents have to put their foot down when it comes to a lot of things like schooling, you know, if your kid doesn't want to go to school, you have to, you know, in this day and age there's because if you don't put your foot down, yeah. Well, it's 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 different from the past mm. because in the past parents used to worry about actual physical safety, yeah. drugs and sex Induction. and um yeah, mm. and not that none of those things are it's not that they are not risks anymore, but the risks the most prominent risks have changed and it seems like today the biggest risk for kids is Anxiety and depression from spending too much time on social media, um, not adequate, not developing adequate literacy or numeracy because, especially for boys, because mm-hmm. they're spending too much time playing video games, mm-hmm. and they're not developing social, social skills, skills because they're not they're not interacting with mm-hmm. other kids, looking mm-hmm. at their facial cues, understanding all of the body language, which is, which is incredibly intricate and complex, and they're just messaging on the apps, so. You know, those are huge risks and <laughs> I don't know if we talk about it enough mm. in our society. I mean, I was at a, a rugby training session the other night and I heard parents talking about, you know, the risk of vapes mm-hmm. and porn 
And of course, those things are not great and、mm-hmm. not ideal for children. But you know, you don't hear parents talking that much about the risk of video games.、Mm-hmm. And I think that should be more of a priority.、Mm-hmm. Yeah,、mm-hmm. video games or screens in general, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Social media as well. Yeah, just yeah. the just in terms of the opportunity cost. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Okay. Are you an, a video game addict, Zoe? No, I'm not. <laughs> I used to love The Sims. I spent way too much time on The Sims when I was a kid in the school holidays. But even then, I was conscious of it. I was probably like eight, nine, ten, and I was like, God, I really have been, you know, sitting on my butt all day playing The Sims. I should probably get off.、Yeah. And when the school holidays were over, I'd delete it. Yeah. And,、um, yeah. I've been addicted to online shopping、mm. to the point where I've had to delete apps.、Mm-hmm. I was addicted to Twitter、mm-hmm. until fairly recently,、mm-hmm. uh, and I actually had to delete the app, delete my account.、Um, I went through after I deleted my account, I went through withdrawals.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I now have reactivated my account, but I'm not nearly as I don't have the same pull、yeah. uh, to the platform that I used to have,、uh, which is a relief. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. I'm. I definitely spend way too much time on social media, and now with my job, it's even more more time because I'm checking Quillette's account. I'm doing、yeah. like it's part of my job, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, the best thing for me is just being like, um, Sunday. Me- Sunday means social media free day. Yeah. Um. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Um. And just putting my phone out of sight because if、yeah. you don't see something, yeah, that's like half the work. Done.、Yeah. You just don't reach for it. I had I have a lock box、mm-hmm. for the. I think they were invented for cigarettes. Maybe they were invented for phones. I don't、mm-hmm. use it that often, but the other day I did put my phone in it,、mm-hmm. and I meant to put it in for two hours,、mm-hmm. but I accidentally put it in for two twenty four hours plus an extra two hours. So oh my god, twenty six hours. Yeah, and um. It was great.、Yeah. I loved it. I loved not people not being able to reach me、yeah. for one.、Mm-hmm. I felt relaxed. I felt all of this tension drop away,、mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh my god,、mm-hmm. can I just get rid of my phone? Can、mm-hmm. I get a dumb phone? Like、mm-hmm. I can't because, well, you think you can't, but、mm. you know that we we rely so much on phones. Like I get all of these invitations for、mm-hmm. my kids." You know, my kids have birthday parties、mm-hmm. to go to and all of that, and it, it all comes through、yeah. the phone.、Um, and then, obviously, I use it for work. But the the level of sort of relaxation you can get into without、mm-hmm. it is quite noticeable, and it、yeah. makes you think: What if this? What if the phone is like smoking? Like, what、mm. if it's aging us?、Mm. Like all of this, you know, all of this hyperstimulation that、yeah. we're getting all of the time. Yeah. I'm definitely addicted to the hyperstimulation.、Um, even you know when I'm getting ready for work or you know having a shower, things like that. I've got a podcast on,、yeah. and I used to think that was really good. Yeah,、and、I'm like, wow, I'm just constantly learning all the time. But actually, I realized that it's it's the silence. I can't tolerate silence as well as、yeah. I I used to be able to. Yeah,、um, and. I wonder how much I'm actually absorbing from the podcast, or if it's just like a comfort blanket. That's a really、mm. interesting observation.、Mm. Yeah, I noticed when I didn't have my access to my phone for the day, only one day,、uh, was that I was alone with my thoughts、mm. much more. 
and it was terrifying. <laughs> oh, I, lo- I loved it. I was like, oh, okay, I can think about this, and you, and then I can sort of process it slowly, yeah. and then move on to another topic. Mm-hmm. I just loved it. Yeah, and I realized that with all of this. Because I'm constantly reading articles. Mm-hmm. I have all of these different news apps. Mm-hmm. And I, like you, I listen to podcasts and, um, you know, I, I check social media. I, I'm I'm not allowing my brain to just think and reflect. Yep. And I am absorbing a lot of information. A lot of the information is really high quality mm-hmm. information. But even still, you do need your brain to have no stimulation yep. just to reflect yep. and process mm-hmm. what you have taken on. Definitely. One habit I'm really trying to break is texting while walking or looking at my phone <laughs> while walking Yeah. because, one, it's dangerous, and two, like, just I should be enjoying the walk, you know. Listening like, to the birds. Yeah. I'm like, oh, let's see what email I have. Blah, blah, I can reply to this. This is all valuable time that I could be using for more productive things. Mm. But actually – What's really valuable is just walking and looking at the sights yeah. and looking at people's faces. Being present. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy on public transport now. Like if, you know, you happen to not be looking at your phone, you see everyone else is. The only yeah. people who aren't are elderly people. And I feel sorry for them because, like, no one chats on public transport anymore, really. I do. I annoy people. <laughs> just like, hey. <laughs> I'm sure it's not annoying. <laughs> mm, depends. <laughs> anyway. On that note, yes, let's have some silence. Yes, <laughs> until Friday. Until next time. Bye.